Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like expanding capacity for sustainable aviation fuel and biodiesel in Washington state and bringing massive new infrastructure online in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Today on The Argument, who gets to be a Catholic in America? Bishops here in America are pushing to allow priests to deny the president communion over his support of abortion rights. President Biden, only the second Catholic commander in chief in history and arguably the most religiously observant since Jimmy Carter. A decision would not only affect President Biden, others like Nancy Pelosi, our House Speaker, is also Catholic. Are you concerned about the rift in the Catholic Church and how do you feel personally about that? That's a private matter and I don't think that's going to happen. President Biden is just one in a long line of Catholic politicians warned not to receive communion because of their support or perceived support for abortion rights. See Congressman Patrick Kennedy, presidential candidate John Kerry, and Senator Dick Durbin. This debate has been going on for decades, and now it's back. I'm Jane Coaston. I was raised Catholic, and I know the ritual of communion and the process of transubstantiation, where the bread and wine offered to become the body and blood of Jesus Christ, is incredibly important and deeply personal. Which is why it can seem like such a blow to see it withheld from someone. Conservative American Catholics, or American Catholics opposed to abortion, might be pleased to see the church take a performative stance against pro-choice politicians. But why is it abortion and not the death penalty that deserves this punishment? My guests today are divided on whether a politician's stance on abortion deserves this kind of exclusion by the church. Ross Douthat is a columnist at Times Opinion. He wrote about why bishops should deny communion in his column, The Bishops, Biden, and the Brave New World. And Heidi Schlumpf is the executive editor of the National Catholic Reporter. The outlet published an editorial saying that denial is a bad idea. Well, thank you both so much for being here. Heidi, Ross, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I've spent the last several days reading papal encyclicals. Yes. Like I'm back in Catholic (laughs) school again. Good times. But first, Ross, you wrote a column about the possibility of withholding communion from Catholic politicians who are supportive of abortion. You said that the act of withholding is both a political and a pastoral act, and it establishes that the church takes abortion as seriously as it claims. So to that end, is withholding communion the right thing to do for priests, for bishops, and for the church writ large? Well, since you read my column, Jane, you know that I have a multi-layered answer. Yes, which I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) The first answer is that in theory, absolutely, the church teaches that certain things are grave moral evils and that you can be implicated in those moral evils as an actor committing sins, but also as a statesman or politician or leader who supports those policies. And I think if the church were talking about withholding communion from a Catholic version of Bashar al-Assad in the midst of some sort of, you know, ruthless massacre of civilians in Syria, I think everyone would understand why the church would consider doing that. So, 
you know, in the case of abortion, you have something that the church teaches with reason, I think, is the mass killing of innocent human life. You have a political party in the United States led by a number of Catholic politicians who support legal abortion. And so in that sense, the argument just as sort of a logical proof follows, I think, pretty straightforwardly. And then there's the pastoral and spiritual dimension, right? which is that if the church seriously believes that these politicians are in grave sin or potentially in grave sin for supporting these policies, then for the politicians' own good, for Joe Biden's own good, to bring it to a sharper point, withholding communion is basically protecting Joe Biden from potentially committing sacrilege. So that's sort of the straightforward, abstracted from all American political concerns argument. The difficulty is the abstracting twofold. from all right, American. Right. Political the difficulty concerns. is the abstracting, right? Like in actual American life, the church hierarchy has extremely limited moral credibility, even with its own flock, let alone with the country as a whole, especially since the sex abuse crisis. It's in a situation where Catholics who are not Republicans have a pretty reasonable argument that the Republican Party does not manifest the fullness of Catholic teaching in any way. So any intervention is going to look like a partisan intervention, even if it isn't intended as such. And then finally, it just doesn't work, right? And we've already seen National Conference of Catholic Bishops or the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, sorry, has already basically said, no, we're not going to have a nationwide policy. And of course, they actually can't have a nationwide policy because this is up to individual bishops and individual priests that Conference of Catholic Bishops doesn't have the power to tell the Archbishop of Washington, D.C., whether or not to withhold communion from Joe Biden. The Archbishop of Washington, D.C., Wilton Gregory, has no intention of doing so. And so all that you could have come up with from this is a kind of document that sort of exposed the toothlessness in certain ways of the church. But then you also have, the church also has the problem that the leadership of the Democratic Party has not been sort of holding in place on issues like abortion and also euthanasia and other related issues of life and death and bioethics. It's been moving further away from Catholic teaching, and Biden himself is an example. And so it might be the case that trying to withhold communion is both a policy that's destined to fail, but also one that it's better to attempt now because the situation you're trying to remedy is going to look grimmer from the point of view of the bishops in the year 2045. So you made the point in your piece that however reasonable the bishops focus on abortion as a preeminent issue is, it's become something in which Republicans can, as you wrote, seemingly get away with a vast accumulation of un-Catholic acts and policies and lies and be forgiven because Democrats support Roe versus Wade and abortion rights writ large. But Heidi, you said on NPR that it's not like the bishop will be standing in front of the communion line and escorting someone out the door. But you did argue that this is just a bad idea for many reasons. But you brought up something, the purpose of communion in the first place. Can you detail that a little bit more in your perspective on this back and forth? Sure. I think maybe I've upgraded thinking this is a bad idea to thinking it's a terrible idea I think it's going to be disastrous for the church. And if the bishop's meeting in June or the fallout afterwards is any indication, I'm afraid I might be right. I think what we see happening here, and we mentioned this in our editorial in advance of the meeting, that we said it would seal the deal 
on the branding of Catholicism in the United States as a culture war project. So I know, Ross, you said you were worried it could be interpreted as a partisan intervention. I think it is a partisan intervention on the part of the bishops. We've seen over the past years this alignment with the Republican Party on the part of Catholic leaders, some of the bishops, certainly many in the pro-life movement, who are willing to set aside a lot of their other principles, putting their hopes on the overturning of this court case. I don't think it's very smart politically, but I'm really concerned about the pastoral implications of this. We're coming out of the pandemic. People are starting to go back to church, come back to the sacraments. I think this idea of an emphasis on worthiness to receive communion, which, first of all, we all um, say that we're not worthy, but the idea that we uh, do what's necessary to approach the sacraments, that is important. But this emphasis on it, I don't think it fits with what I would see as a traditional theology of the sacraments. That is, that sacraments are ways that we receive grace, and grace is unearned. So not this prize for the perfect, as Pope Francis has said. So I don't think this is about Eucharist um, in many ways. I don't think it's about theology. I don't even know if it's really about abortion. I think it's about politics. So I personally, in NCR, would oppose withholding communion from any Catholic politician, whatever the issue. For example, we had, during the Trump administration, the Attorney General, William Barr, a Catholic, who resumed the death penalty at the federal level. And not only did we not call for him to be denied the sacraments, we had at the National Catholic Reporter, you'll notice that the Bishop's Conference didn't either. Why is that? In fact, he was given an award from the National Catholic Prayer Breakfast. It's politics, plain and simple. Just to back up even further for audience who may not have been raised, lucky enough to be raised in the Catholic tradition, which is that what is communion and what is communion for? Pope Francis, he wrote that the Eucharist, although that is the fullness of sacramental life, is not a prize for the perfect, but a powerful medicine and nourishment for the weak. And that he asked for the church to be called the house of the Father with the doors always open, so that if someone moved by the Spirit comes there looking for God, he or she will not find a closed door. Communion to me, and it's some, the tradition in which I was raised, is the ultimate recognition of Christ's sacrifice for us. It is the reenactment of the Last Supper in which Christ knew that he was going to die for the sins of humanity. And he asked his brothers to come and take and eat of him. Catholics believe in transubstantiation, which is the idea that the communion bread and the communion wine become the body and blood of Jesus Christ in recognition of the sacrifice he made. And so in the Catholic tradition, there's this debate about approaching communion if you're not in a state of grace. But then we have Pope Francis saying that in some senses, receiving the Eucharist is about receiving that grace. Heidi, how do you think that this, because you said it's not really about communion, but it clearly is a little bit. How does this figure into the debate about what communion is for and who communion is for? I guess what I would say is that it can be both, both something that is for sinners and in which we receive grace, but at the same time, the church does have some appropriate role in 
deciding how the sacraments are celebrated and who celebrates them and who partakes of them. The Eucharist is the source and summit of the Christian life, according to the Catechism. Certainly, it's very important and visible way that Catholics practice their faith. So I believe that the bishops have a right, a duty, of course, to teach about the Eucharist and to teach about what the Church says about the dignity of human life. And I would like to see our bishops teach and persuade, but I don't think an emphasis on the punish side of how to get people to do what you want them to do is very effective. And I say this both as a former teacher and as a parent. My friend John Carr, who's at Georgetown now, formerly with the Bishops' Conference, always says we need to make abortion unthinkable before we make it illegal. And I don't think the bishops are doing a very good job of persuading people about that. Ross, this seems to make abortion the litmus test for whether or not the American Catholic Church or followers of the American Catholic Church will support a particular politician. What gets me about this is that this is a very public and performative action, because if you're a priest— You have absolutely no idea, in general, what most of the people who are receiving communion have done that day. They could have committed any number of mortal or venial sins. They could have been divorced. They could have had extramarital sex. And the reason why Catholic politicians who are supportive of abortion rights come in for a particular opprobrium is because we know where their positions are because they're public figures. Why abortion is the thing to make the stance on? Why not the death penalty or getting divorced or any number of factors? Because not saying that abortion is not an incredibly important issue to Catholics who do believe that it is a grave sin, but there are lots of other grave sins. On the abortion point, it's just that abortion, you know, murder is worse than other sins, right? I, I, don't, I don't think it's, I think it's not actually particularly complex. The reason that people bring up the death penalty is that that's the closest you can get to a parallel case where it is actually a matter of life and death where a human being is being killed. Now, you can argue various reasons why we shouldn't think of abortion as murder. And you had my colleague Michelle Goldberg and I on on this show, and mm-hmm. we, you know, we we've had that argument. But within the context of Catholic teaching, that's the logic. Now, I think having a preeminent issue like this does create a problem for the church where the other political party seems to sort of accumulate a long list of issues that, taken on their own, are all less significant than abortion. But in the case of certain aspects of the Trump presidency, do seem to add up. To take the case of the death penalty, abortion and the death penalty, even so, are still different because the death penalty is the execution of a person who's been found guilty of a serious crime. In some cases, that person may actually be innocent, but that's what the state is attempting to do there, to execute the guilty, which is, again, different from what happens in abortion. No one is arguing that the unborn human being is guilty of a capital crime. My view is that the public nature, the performative nature, is sort of the point, right? That, yeah, in most cases, nobody knows what kind of sins we're committing thank God, you know, in in secret that we may or may not have confessed before we go up to take communion. But politicians, by virtue of being politicians, by choosing the life they've chosen, they're responsible directly for war and peace and all kinds of things, you know, where you can trace 
direct consequences from their policies. And so the church does have a different relationship to them necessarily. I mean, I guess I'd push Heidi a little bit. I would say that I wouldn't agree with it, but I don't think it would be crazy for the church in the case of a death penalty supporting Catholic politician to have a conversation about withholding communion, given how that teaching has developed. I respect that Heidi doesn't think that's appropriate, but I guess I'd ask, is there anything where it would be appropriate? Yeah, I mean, I can't think of a specific example, but I do recognize that that is the purview and the responsibility of church leaders. I just think in this situation, it pretty clearly is not. And with William Barr, I pray for his conversion on that issue, and I think he's less likely to convert on that issue if he's not receiving communion. I can speak personally about the importance of receiving the Eucharist in my own life and how I think it's been transformative. So the idea of denying that to someone seems counterproductive. I guess I would push back a little bit on you about the simplicity of abortion being murder. It certainly is the taking of a life. I don't want to contradict church teaching here, but it can be complicated. It's the reason why most, I think, pro-lifers do not call for the imprisonment or execution, I guess, of a woman who has an abortion because they don't see it as simply murder in that way. And I also think that while politicians need to be responsible for the positions that they personally hold or that they support, you know, either from their party or actions of their own as politicians, I do also think there's a a little bit more nuance here in this situation with Biden. At the same time, it is currently the law of the land here, and he has moved towards being more accepting of his party's, you know, liberalism or whatever you would call it on abortion. But he has never taken back the fact that he says he is personally opposed to it. And I think that when we start thinking that a politician who's a member of a party or an administration or of a country that has anything that's against the Catholic Church, then we're all kind of in trouble, not just the Republicans and their, as you said, growing number of things that they oppose that just don't happen to be abortion, but many of us. And we don't want the communion line to be a very small number of folks. I guess I disagree. I think that it's very hard to see how the church in its current state gets to a place where it can credibly persuade Catholics involved in polarized political debates that they should be more conformed to church teaching. But I don't think it would be a bad thing if more Catholic Republicans felt a pluck of guilt over the places where their views diverge from church teaching. I I mean, I think in general, American politics would be better off if the two political parties were converging on a kind of Roman Catholic center (laughs) rather than sort of existing as two forms of what we in the old days used to call cafeteria Catholicism, right? That like the church should be thought of as Catholics on the left have often argued sort of holistically. It's a set of teachings that all fit together. But if you think that way, you should want people again, on the right and on the left, to feel like perhaps something is awry (laughs) if if you're not sure if you should take communion. While at the same time accepting that we live in a pluralistic society where not everyone is Catholic. 
Hi, my name is Matt from Spokane, Washington. And the thing that I've been arguing about is the difference between college education and apprenticeships and or public service to the military, whereas one is treated as a higher calling and the other a substandard backup. Um, I'd like to see more equity between the two and have come up against many people who disagree. I would like to hear your opinion. Hi, Matt. Thanks for calling. That's an issue I've been actually thinking about a lot lately. I would also like to see more equity between the two, but I think it's worth thinking about why that disparate viewpoint exists in the first place. This is something I need to read more about, but I really appreciate you bringing it up. And we're still collecting your voicemails about how our workplaces are changing. Whether your workplace went remote or not, how are you feeling about going back to in-person work? If you're an essential worker, thank you. And what's changed or hasn't? Leave me a voicemail by calling 347-915-4324, and we might play an excerpt of it on a future episode. If you had more time in the day, would you take a nap, read a book, talk with a friend? When something's important to you, it's easier to make time for it. Therapy can help you decide what matters most. BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on your schedule. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash opinion today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash opinion. Hey there, it's Ira Glass from This American Life. And the very first place that you can get the newest episodes of our podcast, it's a full day and a half before they appear anywhere else online, is the New York Times audio app. In the app, you also find the best of our archive, hundreds of episodes, plus This American Life shorts, which are handpicked stories for when you want something, you know, short, that's only at the New York Times audio app. You can download it at nytimes.com slash audio app and subscribe to start listening. Something, Ross, that you said is this idea that in an ideal world that being refused communion would cause this changing of viewpoints. But in order for that to happen, I feel as if it would need to be something in which William Barr would also be denied communion. But that's not what would be happening here. We know that it would be Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, and a host of other Democratic politicians. And this is where we get into the politics. Like We can't separate this from an overall political environment in which Catholics who are supportive of the death penalty or Catholics who urge the use of the death penalty are treated in one way by American bishops and Catholics who are either adjacent to or supportive of abortion rights are treated in a different way by the Catholic bishops. I want to say two things. One, I don't think it would be a bad thing to live in a world in which more politicians of both parties were potentially disciplined or denied communion. I don't think that would be a terrible thing. At the same time, abortion in the United States and the death penalty in the United States are not really comparable issues. Fundamentally, a world where there are fewer than 100 or fewer than 20 executions in the U.S., that is not morally comparable to a policy landscape that allows for hundreds of thousands of abortions every year and millions since Roe v. Wade. So that is the reason why Joe Biden and Bill Barr would be treated differently. And it's not that's not an illogical reason. I guess I would say that makes some sense, and I appreciate Ross's consistency about wanting to see 
both types of people denied communion, you could talk about other issues that do have the potential or are already affecting many, many hundreds or even thousands, eventually millions of lives. Things like global warming, where entire portions of our planet are going to be uninhabitable and we will have primarily poor people suffering and dying because of it. But I guess the bigger question to me is, I can't think of an example of where that worked, where denying someone the sacrament or communion caused them to step back and be like, gee, I never really thought seriously about this issue before, and now I'm going to think seriously about it. And in order to get back to communion, I'm going to have a true change of conversion of my heart and think differently about it and you know, become a Republican or start advocating for pro-life. I don't really think it's going to have that effect, that it's going to decrease the number of abortions or increase respect for human life. Do you have an example, Ross, that I'm not thinking of? Well, I mean, you know, when St. Ambrose barred the Roman Emperor Theodosius after a particular egregious massacre from communion, it did have the desired effect. And I think you can multiply examples from the Catholic past. But yeah, I think in a context where the church is sort of culturally powerful and widely respected, I think this is more likely to work, right? And we're obviously not living in that world, and so it's less likely to be effective, absolutely. I think the bishops sometimes wish we were still living in that world, and that's why they're acting the way they are. You said earlier that you could not imagine a scenario in which the bishops or any leaders of the Catholic Church could do this kind of persuasion that I'm asking for, and my answer to that is, Pope Francis, because he has a whole different philosophy or at least way about dealing with people who are not there yet in terms of the fullness of the Catholic faith. So this idea of accompaniment, of meeting people where they are and trying to move them through an attitude of mercy towards a more full belief or acceptance or practice of the faith and of ethics and morals, I think that's way more effective than the bring a hammer to the table, kind of how can I punish you into submission of thinking what I want you to think. I mean, he hasn't been Pope that long yet, but already I think he's been way more effective than the U.S. bishops have been. I guess my view is that both methods appear somewhat ineffective at the moment. There may be individual pastoral cases where that approach has worked. At the macro level, the Democratic Party has moved further away from the church on abortion, and I think a range of issues that are going to become more salient over the next 20 years, not just physician-assisted suicide, but euthanasia in general. There's going to be breakthroughs in the creation of embryos that are going to change bioethical debates. And all of these fronts, it seems like it's hard to see the Catholic part of Catholic liberalism on those issues. So I guess I'm a full-spectrum pessimist, right? I think Catholic leaders who are deeply enmeshed with liberalism as it exists right now are being pulled further away from the church and in ways that the bishops are sort of helpless to stop. You're right that there may not be a lot of immediate or even shorter, medium-term examples in the Democratic Party of the Pope Francis way of dealing with Catholics who don't accept all of church teachings. But I do think in the end, it's going to be more effective than this way, because I don't think you see a lot. You had to reach back to Ambrose to find an example of this other way working. So I'm not sure it's going to be that effective either. 
I know that this is getting into, we cannot know the inner workings of the human heart, but at a certain point, there is a degree to which, like, what would be satisfying to the bishops in these environments? I'll tell you what would be satisfying to me. I do not expect Joe Biden to turn around tomorrow and say, I now support overturning Roe v. Wade, and I'm going to appoint justices who will do that. I think that if Joe Biden, after deep consultations with his priests and archbishops, came out and said, I think that we can compromise as a country, and I want to spend more money on family policy and tax credit, some of the things that that he already supports that might have some effect on the abortion rate, and I'm going to pair that with asking my party to accept limitations on abortions after 20 weeks that right now Democrats don't accept. I think if Joe Biden came out and gave a speech on that subject, it would be a tremendous victory for Roman Catholicism without him having to go all the way to saying, I want to overturn Roe v. Wade. But would that be, I mean, again... And who cares what's in his heart? He's a politician. What he does is who he is. I mean, again, shouldn't the church care about what's in his heart? And you see that in some of these statements from conservatives saying that they are very concerned about Joe Biden's eternal soul. The idea is that the church should be far more concerned about Joe Biden's eternal soul than it is about his political stand and whether or not he would introduce a 20-week ban. Like, at a certain point here, like, we're conflating the political church and the church of the God that is and was and always shall be. No, I think that conflation for politicians is inevitable. Politicians, their public acts are a hugely important part of their own sort of moral life in a way that, God willing, is not true for newspaper columnists, editors, and podcast hosts. And again, just to push it to the extreme example, if you're talking about a Catholic leader in a war zone whose political faction is committing war crimes, you want him to come out and say, like, I promise not to use poison gas anymore, even if, you know, in his heart, he still is tempted to He's use still poison like, gas. Ooh, I love that poison gas. <laughs> I love poison gas, right? Like you, you are achieving something for his soul. By changing his public his public conduct. I, I would have to agree with Ross there. We do bring our whole selves, you know, when we approach the altar for a sacrament. And for some of us, that's our work lives, you know, as well that may or may not be public. But I think we have to be careful in this identifying Joe Biden as pro-abortion. The reality is, I think the idea of using poison gas or telling soldiers to go into war and commit genocide when he's the commander-in-chief is a little more direct connection for the president than presiding over a country where this is the law of the land and not changing that. I, for one, was somewhat appeased, or at least um, pleased, to see that he did not make it the centerpiece of his run for the presidency. And I figure all the pro-choice groups were pretty mad at him for not making enough deal about it. So... I think it is complex and it's difficult with the pro-life movement, or at least the portions of it that I deal with, are rather extreme in that a 20-week ban would probably not be enough. I don't think you would see pro-life Catholics who voted for Donald Trump switching to Joe Biden if he were to do a 20-week ban. We heard from the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops saying that there will be no national policy on withholding communion. The Archbishop of Washington, D.C., Wilton Gregory, has said that he won't deny communion to mass goers. Heidi, what do you think this debate says about what the American church looks like right now? 
Well, I think it does show that we are as polarized as the rest of the country. And of course, Catholic voting patterns in the last couple of presidential elections showed that as well. But what concerns me even more is how divisive it is among our leaders. So the very same bishops who are leading this charge, or at least initially who wanted to focus on Joe Biden with this document on the Eucharist, are the very same ones who are not supporting Pope Francis. And I think that that divisiveness among the bishops themselves and those leaders have setting the narrative for what U.S. Catholicism is, is really difficult and not helpful for those of us who are not on that page. And it's certainly not doing a whole lot to attract younger, maybe more progressive-leaning Catholics who currently are not active in the church. Ross, what do you think? I want to say something that isn't just pessimistic, since, you know, Catholicism is the one true faith, and I'm always interested in argument listeners being persuaded of that fact. We'll get them on the road. Every listener will have their road to Damascus moment. Well, no, we're we're accompanying. Them. That's what that's this is. It's the argument is a Pope Francis style project. Well, my goal is just to get Jane back to communion. So I don't know about you. Right, we're working. We'll start with Jane, and that's the next next episode. No, I mean, look, the church is institutionally weak and likely to get substantially weaker over the next twenty or twenty five years as the baby boom generation passes away, and the church is going to go through a painful period of contraction that's already started but is likely to continue. And the church in the future, I think, looks like a bunch of different bishops all trying different things to figure out what Catholic renewal looks like. And some of them will look more liberal and some of them will look more conservative, but they will be experimenting in different ways. And the idea of sort of a singular national Catholic authority offering pronouncements already seems archaic, I think. I think it'll look more archaic in a generation. I could end on a slightly more positive note and just say— Please, that please do. We talked about our church leaders, but we are the church. And the fact that you had two lay Catholics on this show coming from different perspectives, but having a civilized conversation and many points of agreement, I think, does portend well for the future of the church, too, though. Right. We didn't accidentally create another tripartite papacy, <laughs> though that was a fun period of church history. <laughs> Heidi, Ross, thank you so much for joining me in a conversation that was wide-ranging and really interesting to me as a person who thinks about politics and morality. So thank you both so much. Thank you so much, Jane. Thank you to both of you. And thank you, Heidi. And yeah, we'll be we'll be back to talk about the state of your eternal soul on another <laughs> another show. I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> Ross Douthat is a columnist at Times Opinion, and Heidi Schlumpf is the executive editor of the National Catholic Reporter. You can find both Ross and Heidi's writing online. Ross's column on this issue is called The Bishops, Biden, and the Brave New World, published on June 22nd. And the National Catholic Reporter's editorial is called Why We Support the Bishops' Plan to Deny Communion to Biden, which, as you might be able to tell, is tongue-in-cheek. That was published on June 3rd. And you can read the bishop's full statement about communion at the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops website, published June 21st. You can find links to all of these in our episode notes. The Argument is a production of New York Times Opinion. It's produced by Phoebe Lett, Elise Gutierrez, and Bishaka Durba. Edited by Allison Bruzek and Paula Schumann. With original music, mixing, and sound design by Isaac Jones. 
Additional mixing by Carol Savarol. Fact-checking by Kate Sinclair. Audience strategy by Shannon Busta. 